Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. I'm preaching on a series titled Knowing God, and the title of my message tonight is Help. Everybody say, Help. Life is not what I expected. That's the time of it. Help. Life is not what I expected. Don't say the rest of it. You're done. You're done talking. It's my turn, okay? Um, now, I was talking to my pastor. Uh, my pastor is a pastor in LA, a guy named Chad Veach. He wrote a book called Help, I Work With People. So I had to give him a shout out. We were talking about it. I said, hey, bro, I'm kind of jacking the title of your book a little bit, but I feel like God gave it to me, so it's not yours. It's mine now. Uh, and so, yeah, he wrote a book called Help, I Work With People. Check it out. It's a good book. Book plug. Okay, anyways, back to the message. Um, help. <laughs> Life is not what I expected. And I think if all of us could be honest, uh, some of you, uh, when you got married, a few years in, your marriage is not what you expected. Having kids was not what you expected. Uh, your career is not what you expected. I remember getting a ministry. It was not what I expected. I remember showing up to ministry like, ooh, what are we going to do? We're we just going to pray, walk around, love people. What are we going to do? Like, hey, Tyler, uh, you're also the janitor. Go clean the bathrooms. Thank you. I remember that. And then I was like, okay, what's next? Uh, you're also our yard guy. Go mow the lawn. I'm like, this, this doesn't feel like no ministry. Like, I, don't, I don't remember reading the Bible. And so uh, David mowed the lawn, you know? Uh, and so anyways, uh, ministry wasn't what I expected at first. And then I thought everybody would be super nice to me because I was a pastor. Opposite. So ministry wasn't what I expected. Catch this real quick. There is this moment in Acts where Peter is arrested and about to be killed. And it says in Acts 5 that he comes out and he celebrates it and he rejoices. And I just think that's the weirdest way to respond if I was arrested for preaching the gospel and I was going to die. Would you, if, if, if you preach the gospel and you're arrested in the Bay Area for just preaching the gospel, would you be happy and rejoicing? I wouldn't. But there's a reason why Peter did. Is he expected it. Let me put it this way. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go I'm going to go Tom Cruise on you, okay? Uh, what I mean by Tom Cruise is uh, Rachel and I watched all the Mission Possibles during COVID. Did anybody watch the Mission Possibles? Anybody love the Mission Possibles? Anybody, okay, we have about five. You don't know what Mission Impossible is. It was first a show, and it was a show that would play every week, and they would save the world, basically. And then Tom Cruise came around and made it one of the greatest movie franchises of all time, okay? Rachel and I love us some Tom Cruise, okay? Denzel and Tom Cruise, two greatest actors of my lifetime. Boom, submitted. Uh, we'll debate later, but I believe that, okay? Um, and so I pray for Tom Cruise to get saved. Um, I pray that God saves him from that Scientology, okay? Um, save Tom. Right now, let's, let's pray for Tom, actually. God, we pray right now that wherever Tom Cruise is right now, that you would tug on his heart and he would say yes to Jesus. Pray for you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Come on. You came to church tonight. So, so we, we, uh, we love the Mission Impossibles. If you don't know about the Mission Impossibles, here's, the, here's the, the context of what a Mission Impossible movie is. They're just having a normal day, and then out of the blue, Ethan Hunt gets an assignment from Impossible Mission Force, IMF, okay? And IMF gives him this impossible mission. He's usually like through some, like, like some kind of video and he watches it or a payphone. And they're like, Ethan, we have the syndicate. And the syndicate has these nuclear weapons. And if they get these nuclear weapons to this, these other people that are named something else that's weird, I forget their name, uh, they are gonna explode San Francisco. There's actually one where he saved San Francisco, by the way. Shout out. Um, and he's like, if your mission, you choose to accept it, da, 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 you have this many, 46 hours. And then it sets on fire and he walks away. And I love the movies. And always at the very end, he saves the world. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I've processed life now and I watch Miss Impossible, I'm not that impressed anymore. Because it's actually not that hard what he's doing. Here's what's impossible. Show me how to be pure in an impure world. That's impossible. 
Show me how to, how, to, how to have a vibrant marriage for 50 plus years. That's impossible. Show me how to have three kids and still be vibrant and serve the house and love people and still have a bunch of energy. That's impossible. Show me how to forgive somebody who betrayed me at the deepest level. That's impossible. Show me somebody who's been um, uh, cheated on and came back to church and loved better than before. That's impossible. And the reality is, is that Jesus gives the church an impossible task. And I think one reason why Christians are frustrated is they haven't read John 14 through 17. Because John 14 through 17, Jesus unpacks this impossible mission. Your mission, you choose to accept it. I'm gonna send you out to the world. I'm gonna raise the standards in your life. You're gonna uh, be called on to do things that are way bigger than yourself. You're gonna have to forgive the for, uh, unforgivable. You're gonna have to love the unlovable. You're gonna preach to people and tell them about me and they're gonna wanna kill you instead and think it's a good thing. And not only that, he says, uh, the people that are Christians, your own Christians, they're gonna bounce on you too and wanna kill you also. So Peter knew the mission ahead of him. You know what's one of my least favorite things? Unthankful Christians. Uh, unth like arrogant Christians and just entitled Christians. Like I'll talk, I'll be honest. Like I have a lot of meetings and a lot of Christians. I'll have them and they'll just be so upset with God. You know, I started coming to church. I started tithing. I started praying. No promotion. I got no hottie on my side. What's going on, Pastor Tyler? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. God has failed you. Let's pray. The reality is, if I could just be honest, is. They have this idea because they know two verses in the Bible that God wants to give them everything they desire, that they get really frustrated with God. But if you actually read the Bible, there is a calling on your life to do impossible things. And there is a promise on your life that you will actually do impossible things. And so some of you that have said, help, life is not what I expected. I'm going to uh, try to help you with some scripture today to set you up to win, to conquer impossible things. Does that sound good? Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing uh, at Mission Church. I thank you for the gift that it is to preach your word. I thank you that there are people in the house tonight that their lives will never be the same because they heard the good news message that Jesus loved them so much that he came to earth. He lived a life that they couldn't live, died on the cross for them, conquered the grave so they could say yes to salvation, yes to joy, yes to peace. They could leave all the shame, all their mistakes behind. No, those things don't define them. Ooh, I need to tell somebody right now, you may think you're a great sinner. Well, guess what? Jesus is a better savior. So God, we pray right now that people in the house right now, they would encounter the living savior. I pray my words would fall to the floor and your words would soar. And everybody said... Let's, uh, let's play a little did you know game. Did you know game? I want to uh, just share some things with you real quick. Uh, did you know there's some sport facts? Who likes some sports in the house? I'm going to do sports, science, and some other ones, okay? So here's for the sports fans. Did you know in 1963, Major League Baseball pitcher Gaylord Perry remarked, they'll put a man on the moon before I hit a home run? Well, on July 20th, 1969, an hour after Neil Armstrong set foot on the surface of the moon, Perry hit his first home run. It was his only home run. They literally beat him by an hour. I think that's kind of funny. Did you know the average lifespan of a Major League Baseball is seven pitches? So when you watch baseball, that baseball only lasts seven pitches. How many balls do they go through in a game? Did you know that all Major League Baseball umpires must wear black underwear while on the job in case their pants split? And that's thinking through things. All right, hey, you, I don't like it. You gotta do it. You gotta do it, just in case. All right, I don't want you on ESPN, you know, not top 10. Um, did you know uh, that in 1920, Babe, Babe Ruth out-homered the whole American League? So in 1920, Babe Ruth hit more home runs than everybody else in the American League. That's the great Bambino. Come on now. Uh, last one for sports. 
In the 18th century England, gambling dens would employ someone whose job was to swallow the dice if there was a police raid. Like, how was that interview? Well, you're hired. It's amazing. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Let's go on to some fun random science facts. Ready? Did you know the moon is moving away from Earth at a tiny rate? In the last 85 million years, it's moved 35 feet away. I thought that was fascinating. Let's keep going. Uh, did you know, this is a gross one, that a 10-year-old mattress weighs double what it did when it was first bought? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're gross human beings. Oh, why, Tyler? Why does it weigh double? Because of the dust mites, because of mold, millions of dead skin cells, dandruff, animal hair. That's why we don't got dogs. Um, human, uh, human stuff, uh, pollen, dust, all kinds of other perspirations. Uh, yeah, so in 10 years, your mattress weighs, I'm getting a mattress every year now. We're saving. Get it out of here. Um, and, and now I'm broke. Uh, next one. Did you know in space, astronauts cannot cry because there's no gravity and tears can't flow? That just makes me want to cry for an astronaut right now, right? They can't cry. Cry for an astronaut when they're up there, okay? Um, I'm almost done. Uh, did you know that most lipstick contains fish scales? That's why I don't wear it. Um, <laughs> did you know that Leonardo da Vinci invented scissors? I think that's pretty impressive, but also why did it take so long? Um, did you know the cigarette lighter was invented before the match? Makes no sense. Uh, did you know an average uh, of 100 people choke to death on ballpoint pens every year? I'm saving somebody's life right now. Throw them away, okay? Um, next one, San Francisco cable cars are the only national monuments uh, that can move. Did you know that? Shout out San Francisco, SF. Come on, now we pray for you that you'd get better. Um, Nutmeg is extremely poisonous if injected intravenously. Just in case you're wanting to, you know, some uh, nutmeg. It's a weird one, you know. You want to turn it all the way up, get the nutmeg out. Okay, um, I don't get it. I don't even know why that's a, uh, did you know, okay? There's a lot of things you put intravenously, it'd be poisonous. But anyways, um, last but not least, uh, random body facts. Did you know it is physically impossible for you to lick your elbow? Physically impossible. Did you also know that everyone's going to try and lick their elbow during service or after service now? I'm like, can't do it. It's physically impossible. Did you know that? Did you know a sneeze travels out of your mouth at over, uh, out of your mouth at over 100 miles per hour? 100 miles per hour, sneeze. I think mine are 200 miles per hour. I think I have a gift. Uh, uh, did you know if you sneeze too hard, you can fracture a rib? If you try to suppress a sneeze, you can rupture a blood vessel in your head or neck and die. If you keep your eyes, somebody thinks, some kid thinks that's funny. Um, if you keep, ha, you can die from a sneeze. Um, if you keep your eyes open by force, they can pop out. Just let it go. If you're in church, don't, COVID's dangerous, but holding your sneezing is dangerous too. Just let it go. Let the sneeze go, okay? Uh, almost done. Did you know a kiss stimulates 29 muscles and chemicals that cause relaxation? Women seem to like a light and frequent kiss, while men like more strenuous. This is science. I was shocked by that statement. Um, last but not least, did you know our eyes are always the same size from birth, but our nose and ears never stop growing? I'm in trouble, everybody. <laughs> Gotta just stop this thing. It's like, it's like yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, if you're wondering, does Tyler have a mustache right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm rocking a mustache. Wifey talked me into it. Uh, my mom calls me a young Tom Selleck, and I might as well just embrace it. I was a junior in high school and I had a hairy chest and I was really embarrassed about it. And my mom's like, no, that's sexy. First of all, your mom should never ever tell you that it's sexy, okay? Weird mom. And then secondly, she goes, you're like a young Tom Selleck. And I was like, mom, nobody at high school knows who Tom Selleck is. This isn't a win. Okay, anyways. Um, 
Do you know? Do you know? So those are just fun little do you knows. But let, let's, let's get a little more serious real quick. Do you know about God's goodness? Do you know about his grace? Did you know that 11 of the 14 Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus Christ, our Savior, did you know 11 of the 14 are teachings on sex, money, and power? Did you know that? Did you know that the book of Acts is titled the book of Acts because it was a church in action? It's the Acts of the Apostle. Did you know that? The reality is, is if you look at Acts, the, the, the disciples knew that the Sermon on the Mount, 11 of the 14, was about power, money, and sex. You want to know why? Look at how they operated in the book of Acts. Instead of going for power, they served. They, they, they had a different kind of power play. They weren't trying to get the right political leader. They weren't trying to vie for a title or position. They knew that God said, you want to be the greatest? Become a servant. Don't even worry about power. Teaching about money. You know what? Okay, unthankful Christians are in my top five. You know what else is in my top five of Christians? Greedy Christians. Jesus talked about money all the time. You want to know why? Because he can't use greedy people. He can't give you heaven and then just have you hog all of it. He doesn't build people to be cul-de-sacs. He builds them to be flowing rivers. He builds them to be a blessing so they can also bless. And so the church was the most generous in Acts. They were selling to give. They weren't selling to buy something else. They were always looking, who can I bless? Who can I bless? Man, generosity is something that has to be on this house. If you're a greedy Christian, uh, just work on it. You know, let's pray for the greedy Christians real quick. God, we pray right now for the greedy Christians and Tom Cruise again. Uh, greedy Christians first and then Tom Cruise. I pray there'll be generosity. Man, if you don't know how to give of your finances, man, you don't know how to give of your time either. You don't know how to give of your bandwidth. Because the reality is, is a generous Christian, what happens is when they walk into a room, it's, it's almost like if I could just use my Chase bank account illustration, there is a transfer that happens. There is, there is a deposit that happens. Uh, I, I, I transfer money from my checking to my savings to pay for my property taxes. So one paycheck, I, I transfer money into my, 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 my savings because I need to be able to pay that later on. And so the, the, I can see things moving from finances here to here. What happens in the spiritual when you have a generous Christian is they walk into a room, you know what they're generous with? They're generous with compliments. I can tell you a mature Christian, but just who doesn't withhold compliments? Insecure people don't know how to celebrate others. But other Christians are like, hey, that's Barnabas. He's the best. Oh, you don't know? Oh, they're the best. Man, be generous with your compliments. Be generous with your finances. Be generous with your time. Did you know that Jesus prayed for the church? That he prayed for us in John 17? He prayed a specific prayer for us? Did you know that in John 14 that he sent us a helper because he knew we couldn't do this impossible mission on our own? Did you know in John 15 that God's presence is everything? Did you know in John 16 that God said that the Holy Spirit would also be working in the world and not only in us, that he would convict the world? Did you know these things? Now, now let me just go into my message. Now, we're gonna go into the message. Is the old, did you know the moon is moving? Cool. Did you know your, your mattress is disgusting? Because some of you had had to have a mattress for 20 years. That means it's four times as heavy or whatever it is. That's gross, okay? We will take an offering for you after service to get you a new bed, okay? But, but the reality is those are all little random fun did you knows but there are some did you knows that you need to know or else you're dipped in life. And you're gonna be living a frustrated Christian life saying, help, life's not what I expected it to be. We're gonna look at four chapters today. Four chapters. Now, what, what I like about this teaching that I'm excited about is the four chapters, we're gonna do a 30,000 feet flyby. And what I mean by that is when you read one chapter, you can see a verse, 
there is a heart that God is sharing in each chapter. And I just want to share each heart from each chapter because Jesus is leaving. He is saying, hey, you know how I led for the last three years? I sacrificed, I gived, I loved, I was building a team. Well, I'm leaving, guys. I'm going to die. And I'm going to pass the baton to you. But I'm going to give you the helper. I'm going to give you God's presence. I'm going to give you uh, um, some things to expect. I'm going to let you know like how hard it's going to be. And then I'm also going to give you a prayer. I'm going to be praying for you. Man, if the church knew those things, I think we would be way more impactful than we are now. Do you guys want to know those things? All right, here's the four points. Here's the four points. Oh, this is just random, but you're like, do you really like Mission Impossible? We love Mission Impossible. We love Mission Impossible so much that uh, my wife and I, when we go on hikes, we do the Tom Cruise run. I actually uh, sent a video without her permission. I told her afterwards uh, that I uh, sent it. Check this video out of Rachel running Tom Cruise style. This is awesome. Do you see it? Is there a way to get it darker? I want people to see. My girl's got a good Tom Cruise run. That's 2018. That's 2018. You're an athlete. Athlete. Come on, girl. All right. So here's the four things we're going to look at. We're going to look at John 14. We're going to talk about the helper. It's the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit today. We're going to talk about the vine again. We're going to touch on that just real quick because we uh, preached on that a couple weeks ago. We're going to talk about the mission of the church and we're going to talk about the prayer, uh, the prayer for the church. So our first point is John 14. Do you know the helper? Do you know the helper? If you have a Bible, turn to John 14, 1 through 4. Uh, uh, NIV is what I'm reading out of right here. It'll be on the screen. Here it is. Ready? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So Jesus told him, hey, I'm leaving. Hey, the team captain, the coach, the leader, I'm leaving, I'm gonna die. And so all of them are like, what? We can't do it without you, you can't leave. Like they're freaking out. And he's like, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe also in me, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to, uh, there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you uh, to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He goes, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And I love Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Like he's like, they're like, don't leave. He's like, don't worry, I'm going to heaven. And you guys know where the place is. And Thomas like, no, we don't. I'm freaked out right now. No, we don't know the place. We don't know how to get there. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him as you have seen him. And it goes on. So they're, they're going back and forth. And finally, Jesus says, no, it's better if I leave. And here's why it's better. It says this in John 14, 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, everybody say helper. Come on, we need some help today. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all things that I said to you. I, I just kind of want to brag about the Holy Spirit real quick. Now, if you have any translation, you can see in some translation it says the advocate. Another one says the counselor. Reason why there's so many different descriptions in this one verse and so many different translations is because the Greek word is so vast on trying to describe the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is vast. It's God, he's omniscient. He's infinite. There's no end. And so it's really hard to describe the Holy Spirit in one word. Well, he's helper. Well, no, he's advocate. No, he's convictor. He's no, no, no. He's, he's comforter. And so some of you who are new to church or some of you who have been living your life, you have been missing out on one of the most important things that God has given you to accomplish this mission called life. I'll tell you real quick, you will not be able to have a vibrant marriage for the next 50 to hundred years without the helper and the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You will not be able to forgive people without the Holy Spirit. So I got three things the Holy Spirit is like that I want to tell you and just inspire you to actually start maybe um, giving the Holy Spirit a chance in your life. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit is like Jordan Mai. Jordan Mai or May. I always, where's Jordan at? Jordan, Mai or May? 
Mai, Jordan Mai. Jordan's from Australia. Stand up, Jordan. He's, uh, he's built like a gladiator. Look at this guy. Okay. Flex for us. Yeah, hey, he did it, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. That was intimidating, sit down, okay. Um, Holy Spirit's like Jordan Mai. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, so I, uh, we got to buy our house, and it was an older house, everything to be re restored. And so when you're balling on a budget, you do it all yourself. And so Rachel and I never remodel a house. We're just like, yeah, we'll just rip out the carpet. We'll just knock out some walls. We'll just put a toilet in. We'll just, we'll just rip out the van. Rachel's like, I just bought a vanity for $300 on Amazon. We'll just put it in the house. Like you just like plug and play, you know? And so we're just buying stuff. And, and I remember the night before we go in to remodel the house, we're literally, our game plan right now is just Rachel and I. And I'm like, what have I done? I don't own any tools. I, I, zero tools and I'm gonna remodel a house. Don't leave the church because your senior pastor is an idiot, okay? <laughs> I've always said I'd rather be dumb and happy than arrogant and stupid or arrogant and angry. Um, so uh, I remember like borrowing tools from my buddy and then uh, texting Jordan like the night before, hey man, would you be able to uh, help this weekend? We're gonna knock out some walls, tear out some carpets. We're gonna uh, do some things to the house. And Jordan just, you know, he's a servant first, man. He's like, yeah, I'll be there. Like with the best attitude comes in. He goes, yeah, when I was younger, I did some construction. So I know we're uh, doing a little bit. And so we start remodeling the house. And Jordan is doing things that I didn't even know what to do. He has uh, installing our toilets, installing sinks. Uh, he's patching up floors. I mean, literally all kinds of things. And then I'm over in the corner going like this. We're doing it, we're doing it, Jordan. We're doing it, we're doing it. Keep up the good work, buddy. Um, I'm carrying stuff at least, all right? I'm taking out old carpet. I'm ripping out carpet. I'm taking out nails. I'm doing what I can do with my bandwidth, all right? Some of you need to understand something real quick. If I didn't have Jordan for that month to help me with the house, our house never would have got remodeled. It never would have been what it is now. It's starting to look good, by the way. I'm very thankful. Some of you have been trying to do everything in your own strength and remodel your own life and redo your own life and you just got to shoot out one prayer, one text and say, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Man, the Holy Spirit's like Jordan Mai. You're not going to be able to do the remodel on your own. You, the Holy Spirit sometimes looks like uh, a worker, if you will, that puts on his work gloves and hard hat and says, just let me get into your life and let me do some work. Uh, let me put it this way. Um, uh, there's a pastor, uh, Judah Smith, who um, uh, wrote a book titled, How's Your Soul? How's Your Soul? And he has some bestsellers, like uh, some books that are on the New York Times bestseller list. How's your soul? I think five people bought it. Literally, I've heard like nobody bought the book. You want to know why they didn't buy the book? Because nobody actually wants to talk about this being remodeled. They want, don't touch it. It's going to be painful. But man, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to remodel what needs to be remodeled, oof, you will accomplish the impossible things you never thought you could accomplish. Let's keep going. You know what else the Holy Spirit's like? The Holy Spirit is like a good tan. It's like a good tan. It's like a good, who loves to be, who loves a good tan? Anybody? you like, you get a good tan, you like, you automatically feel like you lost 10 pounds, right? All right, you like, the muscles show up, they didn't know you had, you know? People are like complimenting you for the first time in a year, like, oh, Ty, you look nice, what is it? Not the mustache, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, when you laugh, it hurts. Um, it's the tan, it's the tan. Rachel and I um, uh, went to Maui one time and we didn't have enough time to get tanned. We didn't have enough time to lay in the sun for a month because to get tan like really well, you gotta be in the sun a lot. So I golf, I like working outside a little bit. I also like just sitting in the chair and drinking my drink in this. I love the sun. I love vitamin D, it makes me happy. Well, we didn't have time, so we went and got a spray tan. Who, who's got a spray tan before? Raise your hand. Come on now. Okay, some of you are lying in church right now. 
get one every week. You know who you is. Um, we got a spray tan, but it was not a good spray tan because we had a shower and we forgot to shower and we, got, we were late for the flight. So this was us on the plane with our spray tan. We are oompa, loompa, doobity doo. I mean, that is some orange. Like people would walk by and they're like, Kind of fun little weird rabbit trail story, but we had uh, miles we upgraded. Uh, you can tell those, those are some, uh, those, that was Virgin America when back in the day I had uh, their credit card. And who sat right in front of me? It was Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. And I was like, Steven, I'm a huge fan. And he looked, like, what's wrong with you, man? You, know? like, you can tell, like, everybody sounded like, you know? And then I told him my favorite song was from Armageddon, you know, I don't want to miss a thing. He was like, it's not the best song, man. Uh, anyways, we got a spray tan. It's terrible. Let me tell you something real quick. A lot of Christians treat God's presence like a spray tan. A lot of Christians think the Holy Spirit's more like a spray tan than like the sun. And what I mean by that is that we come in and say, God, okay, I got something coming up. I got, a, I got, I got an appointment. I got a doctor's appointment. I've got an interview for a job. Uh, my spouse and I are fighting. Holy Spirit, give me a spray tan and just fix everything. The reality is, is that's actually not how the Holy Spirit works. Bible says that you sow where you grow, that you actually reap where you sow, that, that the, the Holy Spirit, it starts to actually botanically transform your life. And so some of you are trying to manufacture joy right now, and you can't manufacture joy. It's only found in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit starts to produce joy in your life. Some of you are trying to manufacture peace. You can't get peace. It's going to look worse than my spray tan. You use other things for peace, but there's only one place to get peace, and it's God's presence. His Holy Spirit produces these things. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a good tan. It, it, people start complimenting you. Man, you're nicer than you used to be. Man, you're kinder than you used to be. Man, you got more peace than you used to be. You want to know why? Because I've been in uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit. I invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of my life. I'm, 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 I'm sowing where I'm supposed to be sowing. I'm reaping where I'm supposed to be reaping. Come on, the Holy Spirit also is... Uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, better than any breakup song of all time. Come on now. Uh, anybody ever go through a bad breakup in high school? Any 80 babies in the house? Hey, come on now. Anybody break up with somebody in high school, ball their head off, go into their bedroom, put on boys to men, and just cry to boys to men? <laughs> At the end of the road, still I won't let go. And then you just start singing the whole thing. This was me in high school. The boys to men, I dated a girl. We had a song called Girl in the Magazine. That was our song. Don't worry, I'm over her, baby. I'm over her. Um, but we had the song. It was called Girl in the Magazine, Boys to Men. And it was actually our song. It's the first time we ever like, had a slow dance together. And I remember when we broke up, I got my Boys to Men CD out. I started playing it. I just was like, I started to hear like, the breakup songs. And I started feeling a little better. I was like, it's going to be okay because Boys to Men says it's going to be okay. And uh, then I had another breakup, and I don't know if you ever heard Justin Timberlake's song, What Goes Around Comes Around. It's a little bit more ruthless, but it's like, yeah, what goes around comes around. All right, yeah, 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 in your face. And there's a reason why Taylor Swift was so popular, because every time a girl breaks up with a guy, she puts on Taylor Swift, and it kind of comforts him, because Taylor Swift's like, no, you made a mistake. I was the best thing ever, you know? Um, let me unpack this real quick. This is going somewhere, I promise. People are looking for comfort everywhere. Comfort in a song, comfort in drugs, comfort in alcohol. There ain't nobody better at comfort than the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to find that kind of comfort. It even says he's the comforter. And, and what, what John 14 is saying, what Jesus is saying is, hey, okay, I'm leaving, 
But don't worry, I'm going to give you the greatest thing that this world has ever seen, and it's the Holy Spirit. Can I just unpack the Trinity real quick? The Trinity is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll hear Christians sometimes like, well, you know, the Trinity is kind of like an egg, like the yolk, the, the, then the outside, and then the, uh, then the shell. No! No, don't use that. Well, the Trinity is kind of like a pencil. You got, the, you got the lead, then you got the wood, and then you got the razor. No! Here's the Trinity. Three people. Co-equals, co-eternal. They're a team. There's three of them. Again, like uh, Rachel and I, we're two people, but we're one. Godhead, one. You read throughout the, the, the they're together. They're, they're not an egg or a pencil. There is a mystery to God, but they are three people, and they are one. They're co-equals, co-eternal. Here's something I want to encourage you with real quick. John 14 shows us that God gives us peace that we have a team. I watched, anybody watch PJ Championship? I hope you're watching. It's great. It's fun. Phil Mickelson's doing well. Um, if you recorded it, I'm sorry. Um, anyways, uh, every golfer, I, I see them on the driving range and they have like three people just around them watching their swing, like monitoring them. And they got, they got and after the, the round, they're like, I want to thank my team. I'm like, you're a golfer. Like you play by yourself, you know? Um, and then actors, you're like, I want to thank my team. And, you know, and, then, uh, and then boxers, I want to thank my team. And here's what I realized. To do anything great in this life, you need a team. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm giving you a whole team. Me, the Holy Spirit, the Father, you got three. And we got your back the whole way. If you get knocked on the mat, we're going to patch you back up and send you back out. If if you're going through something, oh, we, we got your back. Let's go to John 15. Let's go to John 15. So the first one is, do you know the helper? Do you know the helper? You need to know the helper. Second one thing is, uh, do you know it's all about his presence? Do you know it's all about his presence? John 15, five says this. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Everybody say nothing. I think of the psalmist that said this, better is one day in your presence than a thousands elsewhere. Man, that's gotta be, that comes something that we actually believe. Uh, let me just say, we, we, we preached on John 15 uh, a few weeks ago, so this will be the quickest one. So I'm gonna say something real quick. We understand that we need to refill our cars with gas. We, cars do not run without gas. Can we agree with that statement? Unless you got a Tesla, baller. Um, uh, so, but we can all agree, but you got to charge your, uh, your Tesla. So never mind. Okay. Um, so we all understand that cars need to be regassed. Very simple, right? We all know that our iPhones, some of you Androids that are holding on with, by a thin, a thin thread, um, but we know that our iPhones need to be charged every night. We know this, yes? So I fill my car up weekly. I charge my phone uh, daily. But why is it that spiritually we don't understand that we cannot operate one breath without his presence? We think it's like, oh, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a daily thing. No, it's a weekly thing. No, it's a seconds thing. It's a, God, I need you. God, I still need you. Fill me up. It is your, I, I can't remove myself one second. God, I need your presence everywhere I go. If I don't have your presence, I got nothing. If I don't have your presence, I can't conquer anything. If I don't have your presence, I can't forgive. If I don't have your presence, I can't love. If I don't have your presence, I can't worship. If I don't have your presence, I can't love my spouse. If I don't have your presence, I can't forgive the unforgivable. It's a seconds thing. So we understand our cars. We understand our phones. Hey, you better start understanding your soul. Man, do you know that his presence is everything? It's everything. And you're in your car, driving to work. Pray. God, I'm going to work. I know you're with me all day. I'm going to be thinking about you. I'm going to be praying. I might not be praying out loud all day because people at work will think I'm weird, God. But Lord, I'm going to be praying and believing that your presence is with me. And I'll be meditating on your goodness today. Watch what happens to your day if you do that. The impossible things will start to become possible. 
Do you know that presence is everything? Third point is this. Did you know this won't be easy? Do you know this is going to be hard? Let me read you in John 16. God, I, love, I love how God's a straight shooter. Uh, he says this. I have told you these things that you, so that you will not abandon your faith. So 1415 is like, I told you the first two chapters so you won't abandon your faith. What a statement, okay? He's like, I'm telling you this so you won't give up. For you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Oh, William Tyndale, if you don't know William Tyndale, I, I believe there's actually a Tyndale Bible. I have a different cover on it. William Tyndale translated the Bible uh, into English so people could actually read it. He was getting the, the Bible into people's hands. And they said to him, hey, they're going to come for you and they're going to kill you. And you know what William Tyndale said? I expected nothing less. He understood. I'm going to use my life to have people encounter the living God. I'm going to translate the Bible. And you know what they did when, he, uh, um, when they caught him? They tied him to a stake and strangled him and set him on fire. William Tyndale knew John 14, 15, 16, and 17. He knew that there would be a cost to expanding the kingdom, but he expected nothing less. It says this in uh, John 16. He says, this is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now that, so that when they happen, you'll remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Drink some water real quick, forgive me. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me and not the one uh, of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, there's the Holy Spirit again, won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. It's interesting. In 14, it's, it's basically like a defender. The Holy Spirit's going to be your defender. But actually, in this one, advocate, if you look at the Greek, it's he's the convictor. He's convicting. But here's why he's the convictor in this moment. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Can I just tell you something real quick? A lot of you want to address so many things of the world's sin. I can't believe the world does this. I can't believe the world does that. Here's the sin of the world. They don't believe in God. That's the one, period. Thank you, Mike T. Period. That's the one we should deal with as a church. I read this quote from a pastor this week. He said, to hate the ones you're supposed to evangelize to, it's a bad strategy. It's just not going to work too well. To hate the ones you're supposed to reach, to despise the ones you're supposed to reach, it's just not going to be that fruitful. Because the reality is we're so frustrated with the world and the way they live, but here's their sin. They don't believe in God. But here's what it says. The Holy Spirit would convict them. What, is it, what does it look like to convict this Greek word? What is, it, what, is it, what is it trying to do? It pokes holes in the stories of the person who's defending themselves that they don't actually need to be saved. And so people will try to tell you, I don't need Jesus. But the more and more they say it, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts them and they know there's holes in their life and they are feeling empty, and eventually, this is, I, I, catch this real quick, I'm going to finish real quick. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Stop. So catch this real quick. A group of zealous fanatics that love their Savior are going to go build the kingdom. Now, you're like, well, that's, the reason why Christianity succeeded was because they were really fanatical. You know, there's a lot of religious fanatics that had a small group that really believed in their leader. Look at history. That happened all the time. But no fanatical group ever had a Holy Spirit go before them to convict the world. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me give you a picture of what I'm trying to say. Jesus is on the cross, and they are crucifying the living Savior, the perfect Savior that loved and healed while he was on this earth, and they didn't feel a thing. They actually mocked it and celebrated it. 
But then in Acts 2, it says Peter stands up to a Roman culture that would be very similar to ours, and he says this, the one that you crucified, even put him on blast, the ones you crucified, the one you crucified, uh, Jesus, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. And he goes on to, to preach the gospel to these people. And it says in Acts 2 that when he said it, it pricked their heart. It poked a hole in their heart because the convictor was there. The Holy Spirit was doing the work while Peter was talking. And the reality is, is a lot of us don't know that that's what we have at our aid to actually transform the world. You know, Tom Cruise, you saved San Francisco from the nuclear weapon. But you know what would be a really tough mission impossible? Plant a church in the Bay Area. That's Mission Impossible. Planted church in the least church region of all the U.S. They got money. They don't need nothing. How in the world are we going to reach people that have everything? We're going to have the Holy Spirit go before us, and he's going to prick their heart. And we're going to testify the one that died on the cross and conquered the grave. And when you just start talking about Jesus, here's what happens. People will start weeping. They have, uh, there's, there are some documentaries of where they go to tribes and they literally just show a picture because they don't speak the same language. They show a picture of Jesus on the cross and people in their language are like, I put him there, I take him down, take him down. They start weeping. How, how do they know they put him there? Why are they weeping? Because the Holy Spirit is convicting souls. We are depending on our academics to reach people, our evangelistic strategies. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a series called Reach Every Single Person This Week, you know? And so then we like, we're going to give away a free car every Sunday and invite your friend and, and I'm going to preach evangelistic messages. And then people come and raise their hands. Sure, be intentional about evangelism. People actually get saved when you're intentional about things. But if you knew John 14, 15, 16, 17, you would know that you have the greatest gift in this impossible journey to transform the Bay Area is the Holy Spirit. Advocate, will you go convict? Advocate, I, I have some friends that I would love that would, I'd love for them to know you. I'd love for them to come to know your goodness, God. I'd love for them to know your, your grace and your kindness. I'd love for them to know that they're missing out on the greatest thing on the planet and it's your presence. Will you convict their hearts so when I speak to them next time about how good you are, that they would weep and then I would tell them the gospel message and they would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart and they would be saved. God, would you do that? And in John 16, it says he'll do that. Can I get an amen? amen. Last but not least, do you know Jesus' prayer for the church? Jesus prayed for the church. Let's be honest, the church needs a lot of prayer, especially during COVID. Man, COVID, I, I gotta be careful how I say this. COVID, I wouldn't say strengthened the church, but it shook the church. It exposed things in the church. I knew that politics were important to people. I had no idea it was a big, that big of an idol. I had no idea. I, just to be honest, I didn't know. I, I'm like, man, like, I, I guess I'm not that good of a pastor because I didn't know people were that, like, that, like, that gung-ho about their political party and their beliefs. I didn't know like, that's how they pick their churches, how they pick where they live. I didn't know. I didn't know that, um, that they demonize the other side because when politics get really big, what you idolize, you start to demonize the other side. So if you idolize the Republican Party, you demonize the Democratic Party. If you idolize the Democratic Party, you demonize the Republican Party. We don't idolize any uh, party. They're both lacking, trust me. So I'm reading John 17, and it's amazing what the prayer is for the church. 
And I wish I would have been reading this in the very beginning of COVID, because I want you to hear real quick. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for the, uh, uh, all of you who ever believe in me through their message. So right there, John 17, 20, I'm praying for these disciples, but I'm praying for the whole church. For the rest of these days, I'm praying for the church. He's, this is John, he's praying for the church in John 17. It's amazing. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they also be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Here's where it gets really thick. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may, the, may be the one, uh, so they may be one as we are one. I'm having a really hard time reading this. There's a lot of one, one, ones. I'm gonna finish strong though, you ready? I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. Everybody say unity. Amen. That the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So you're saying Jesus is praying for the church. So he just gave them the impossible mission. All right, I'm, I'm gonna give you the helper. You're gonna go in the world. You're gonna declare to a world that is hedonistic. Hey, stop finding your identity in sexual activity. Stop it. Repent. Stop finding your identity in money. Repent. Stop finding your identity in power. Repent. Declare, you are the ones that put Jesus on the cross. You're gonna go do that. And people are gonna get saved, but some of you are gonna die. But don't give up because others are gonna rise up and then they're gonna take the baton and so on and so forth. You're gonna go do that for, for the gospel message. And as you do that, here's my prayer, that you would stay unified, that you wouldn't be divided. Uh, right now, the NBA playoffs are going on. And a lot of people aren't watching the NBA playoffs because there's a slogan, once you go woke, you go broke. And so not a lot of people are watching, but I'm gonna talk about the NBA real quick. I'm not saying I'm for the NBA or against the NBA. I'm just gonna talk about the NBA, okay, cool, okay. Uh, that's my premise. Um, so uh, when I was growing up, I was a huge Sonics fan, and my least favorite team in all the world is the LA Lakers. You, you, you would have shocked my world if you had told me I would hire a youth pastor one day that would wear Laker gear to church on a Saturday night and pray for the Lakers on the platform. I might pull that off the table for the whole church. You in the Bay Area, Joe. Um, you're praying for the Warriors, it'd be a different question. Um, but I hated the Lakers. But man, they had these two guys named Shaq and Kobe. And Shaq would bring Kobe in on his back, piggyback ride into, into games sometimes. And I'm like, man, they look like they're just best friends. Shaq and Kobe, you know, and Kobe would throw him an alley-oop against the Blazers and Shaq would throw it down and they would be celebrating, you know, champagne. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're best friends, yay! Then you find out after three championships, Kobe couldn't stand Shaq. Shaq was lazy. Shaq would show up overweight, take him 20 games in the regular season to get in shape, but Kobe all season would be eating salmon and spinach and working out from 4 a.m. before practice. So he, he didn't enjoy Shaq. He thought Shaq was a, a Shaq fool, to be honest, okay? Like, they did not like each other. But when the season started, Kobe and Shaq would look at each other and say, we got one mission. We got one thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go get that trophy. And we're going to be united as a team. And everybody who's against us, they're the enemy. I'm not the enemy. And I'm thinking to myself, if Shaq and Kobe can be unified, maybe the church can be too. Just maybe. Maybe, maybe you, somebody you don't like, you should go give them a piggyback ride to church next week. Like, Come on. I know you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, but we can do this together. Come on. Just maybe. Just maybe. Pray about it. Catch me real quick. Why would God, why would he say if, if they stay unified, then the world would know that, that we're his, that we're, we're the movement? Because 
the reality is, is that a mature church, a church that actually has the Holy Spirit and that has grown and knows 14, 15, 16, 17, that knows God, knows that there's gonna be all these things that could divide us. Politics, finances, stance on the Holy Spirit, stance on uh, this, stance on how we do that, liturgy, liturgical, whatever. But if we actually unite around the mission of preaching the gospel, saving the lost, loving people, and loving a broken world, oof, that church cannot be stopped. We would accomplish impossible things. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and I'm gonna conclude with this. I, I, I just wanna pastor real quick. I just wanna pastor real quick, if I could pastor our church. Um, so John 14, 15, 16, 17 is Jesus giving the baton to, to us and to his disciples to go change the world. I, I planted Mission Church, not because I just wanna do something. I felt like God assigned me to Walnut Creek. We were gonna go back to LA, plant a church in Studio City. I love LA still. I think it's a great place. I could have a great life in LA. But I had a Nehemiah moment, driving the car, couldn't stop crying. We had to pull it over. And God assigned us to this, this section of this region, right here. Said we'd be a regional church, like a light stand. We're gonna plant churches. And I started bawling my head off. I was like, okay, God, but I don't wanna go to Walnut Creek. I told her I didn't wanna go to Walnut Creek. God, I wanna go to a more Republican area. They're easier to build churches in Republican areas. Because statistically, there's more Christians in Republican areas. And so I was like, God, I don't want to go here. It's going to be hard. And I, I turned on the Christian radio. I don't listen to K, was it K-Love around here? The K-Love? Yeah, something like that. And uh, they have this person they're interviewing about uh, China. And they're like, I remember telling God, I don't want to go to China. I don't want to go there, God. There's, there's no Christians there. It's going to be the hardest thing ever. And they start talking about the revival in China. And I was like, oh, this is perfect timing, isn't it? <laughs> And I start hearing what God did in China that nobody else, if you would have told people what happened in China before what has happened now, nobody would have believed you. It would have sounded impossible. And I just, my faith started getting stirred for Walnut Creek in the East Bay. And I started saying, God, you could put me anywhere. I know, I know my heart breaks for, for, for Walnut Creek, but I started praying prayers like, I'll go to China now too. I'll go wherever, wherever, wherever you say go, I know it's gonna be success. I know you're gonna do something. And so we planted Mission Church with this thought. Our mission is to change the world one person at a time. Because the Bay Area thinks God is weird. They don't think they know God, they need God. There's so many things, so it's one conversation at a time. It's one invite at a time. It's one small group at a time. It's one prayer at a time. It's one generous gift at a time. It's all these one at a times and believing that each person is so valuable. It's worth the work. It's worth it, because that's what Jesus did. And so we talk about transforming this region by building a core and then a community and then impacting the crowd. And so what Jesus shows in his scripture is he shows that he wants to have personal change happen in us first. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's for our life. So he wants personal change. You'll see this happen in the Bible. This is how the kingdom of God is supposed to impact the world. Then after that, you're gonna see the second thing is you're gonna see uh, your community's changed because you're changed taught on money, power, and sex. Well, now you walk into a community, you're generous, you're kind, you're pure, you're holy, you have a different countenance about you. You start to impact your community, they get saved. So now you're changing your community. Uh, put up this uh, slide real quick, the, the kingdom of God. Why don't you see this real quick? There's a slide, I promise, a graphic. Did you email the graphic? Bam, right there, okay, thank you. So, so the first, this is, this, is, this is the mission map of how God shows the disciples. First thing we have, and this is, this is how you change the world, by the way. This is what, at least what they did in Acts. This is what I believe. This is how you change the world. At least I, I believe this because it's in the Bible. So you have Simon become Peter. You have a Saul become Paul. It's personal change. And then you start changing your community. 
one conversation at a time, one everything at a time, okay? And once you start changing your community, you start changing a city, you start changing a region, maybe even a state, and then you change the world. This is God's game plan, okay? This is how he did it. So that's how we're gonna do it. So we're gonna call that the kingdom of God. I'm gonna call the second one kingdom of self. This is how the world's trying to do it. Let's throw it up there. First thing you do to change the world, you elect a political leader who has your values. Give me my political leader, give him to me. Second thing you do, have my political leader enforce my political views. Just shove it down everybody's throat, political leader. And Christians actually want a political leader to do the same thing. So when we had Donald Trump as our president, so many Christians were like, yeah, that America is safe again. It's safe because we got Donald at the wheel. He's gonna take our morals and he's gonna shove them down. Everybody's throwing America and America's gonna be saved. That's called totalitarianism. That is not the movement of God. That is a dictatorship of how the Christian movement would say to do it. That is a terrible way to think how we're supposed to do church. But the kingdom of self is doing the same thing. Get, get out of Trump, give us our leader. I'm not saying Biden's the other leader, but say, give us our leader. And if there's woke movements right now saying, we have our idea of who we're supposed to elect, and then whatever we believe, shove it down the world's throat, and if they don't like it, cancel them, destroy them, fire them. And then we change the world. Happy day. Clap, clap, we did it. These are the two routes. Because the kingdom of self says this. I'm the solution, and you're the problem. And so it says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to elect somebody who can fix it, and we're going to fix it. We're going to get all the credit. We're going to get all the glory. And if you're in our way, because self is a problem, self's the solution. Now throw the other one up again real quick. But the kingdom of God says this. Jesus is the solution. Jesus saved my life. I was lost. I was depraved. I was broken. Jesus transformed my life. He's still changing my life. I, I want the president to tell people to be generous. I'm not even generous. What's so funny is the, the Democratic Party says that they want us to be generous. You do studies, the Democrats are the greediest out of the two. They don't give. Look at studies. But Republicans give, but then they're saying to the, the president, stop giving. I don't get it. I'm confused. I'm touching a lot of buttons right now because a lot of you, your politics are your idol. May God work on your heart. May God, may God break an idol in your heart this season. May He break it in your heart. Politics are not the route how we're going to change the world. So it's personal change. And so you start to get softer and kinder and more gracious. And you start to have a community of people who are soft, kind, and gracious. And they all get saved because the Holy Spirit is poking holes. And people are weeping and they want Jesus. And then three years in, you have this little community. And it's called Mission Church. And this is the dream of the church right here. We're living the impossible. Mission Church, we're living the impossible. This is the beginning of the impossible. This room right here, if, if it can start with us, that if we could love well, serve well, that we could be the ones that don't go for power, but we go for the serving positions, that we could be generous people. Oh, what we could do in the Bay Area. Oh, I pray that for us. I believe that for us. Can I get an amen? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.